Shall we say then, shall to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. How's that, guys? Great. Okay. Um, yeah, we've been well looked after over the last couple of weeks with Beach Mission here with SUFM, and they uh, finished off very, very well and strongly. So, um, yeah, please also be praying about people that were contacted through that and, and impacted through that. And um, the guys that were there kicked us off in just a, a quick series that we're in the middle of in the book of Romans. Romans is a very rich and dense book of the Bible, um, and so we can't go into a lot of detail. But they were looking at it, thinking about um, how it, it, it shapes the mission that they were doing. So it's great for us to also have that in mind as we think, think through what, um, what this part of the Bible reminds us of. Now, you might have just had holidays. A lot of people have because it was the Christmas, New Year's time. Um, and depending on how organised you are, how good you are at planning for holidays, you might have in your holidays had a moment where you thought, what do I do now? Because you kind of have done everything to get ready to be finished up at work and then you land at home and it's like, oh, what do I do now? Or you might have gone away somewhere and you kind of, you know, it, it took every bit of energy that you had to get the car packed and wrangle the kids in there and drive eight or ten or however many silly hours you went and you kind of land there and you're like, what do I do now? Well, that same question in a very different sense is what we're encountered with at the start of the book, or at the start of the reading in the book of Romans today. See, what we've just quickly seen in the book of Romans over the last couple of weeks is the very clear fact that we are in need of a saviour. Universally, everyone is in need of a saviour. And the fantastic news is that Jesus comes as that saviour. He meets God's standard and he sits in as the substitute for us and gives us the life that, that, that we didn't deserve, but he gives it freely by his grace. And so 
What do we do now? What do we do with that forgiveness? If, if sin is so dealt with by Jesus and it actually doesn't stick to us anymore, what do we do with that? This time last year, we had some friends visiting, uh, the friends that live out at Orange. And I was um, chatting with uh, my, the, the guy, um, the guy of the couple. Um, it's really my wife's friend. And so uh, they, they do lots of things together and we kind of like get dragged around a little bit, but it's a good time and it's all, all good. Anyway, I was just chatting to him about what podcasts he'd been listening to. I don't know whether you're someone that's got into podcasts, but they're kind of the trend in some groups of people. Anyway, he told me about, listen to this podcast called, about this guy called The ATM Boy. And it's this true story podcast, you can look it up, and this guy somehow had a glitch happen in his bank account where he could go to an ATM and withdraw from his credit card as much cash as he could empty out of the machine and, it, and there'd be no record of it. And he kind of, thought, he, he did it once and, he, and then he cottoned on to that what was happening and he, then he just kind of went wild. He went crazy and was pulling out cash here and there, taking his friends on expensive trips, stocking up on expensive stuff. And I think it went on for about six to eight months. You can look him up. This is a true story, an Australian guy. And he got to the point where he just said, hang on, this is going to catch up with me somehow. This is too good to be true. And he handed himself in. And I think he actually hands himself in a couple of times. And the police don't believe him. And he did end up going to jail, but it was for a completely different reason. And it's kind of completely unclear how much he may or may not have actually hidden away. So there you go. If you bank with the National Australia Bank, there's been someone that's completely ripped them off and it's probably your money that he's got. But anyway, that's grace. Should we understand God's grace as just some kind of license or some kind of um, you know, scheme that we've got onto where our sin is so dealt with by Jesus that we kind of have a freedom to just do whatever we want with it? where we have a freedom, because that's the thing, Jesus' death and resurrection is so complete that you are forgiven and freed from your sin, from the penalty of your sin. Down in verse 14, 13, it talks about you who have been taken from death to life, such as the reality of being united in Jesus. Is that the kind of attitude that we should have to our sin? And in fact, the way that Paul puts it here is, isn't that actually a good thing that we, would, that we would keep sinning so that God would get more glory because he is doing more forgiving and, and his grace is just seen more and more and more and more? And that's the kind of argument that, that Paul's dealing with here. Well, it's kind of apparent how, how foolish that kind of thinking is, isn't it? I hope that you're not thinking that that's the way that it works, that Jesus is some kind of blank check that you can just do whatever you want with. See, because... It's actually, we've got to remember the shape of what Jesus did to offer that forgiveness for us. The shape of what Jesus did was that he actually died for it. He took it to the cross. That's how serious it was. Grace is completely free, isn't it? And yet it cost Jesus everything. Completely free to me, but cost Jesus everything. And so the first thing that Paul wants to say to us here is that we died to sin. When we accepted Jesus, we died to sin. And that's the thing. Sin is sin. To receive Jesus, you had to recognize that sin was sin. 
You had to recognize it for what it was and that you needed to reject it because it was against God and because it was you know, detrimental to yourself. So how could we live in it any longer? This, that, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Our sin went through that. It went through the cross and it went through the resurrection. Now, of course, we will still be tested. Okay, In this life, temptation is not removed. In fact, it will possibly increase and it may have increased for you. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you might attest to this, that you've found a new temptation in different seasons of your life, a new thing that that you're drawn to. It might continue to tempt us because we're kind of starved of the, the thrill of sinning. It's actually, you know, sin isn't, isn't is, like it's all bad, but it's not, it, it's not sometimes not fun. Do you, know, do you understand what I mean? Sin isn't always um, something that we don't enjoy. It actually can be quite enjoyable for us. The problem is that it's actually detrimental to us. And so our temptation or our testing to sin may increase it also we might we will it may increase for us because of course satan doesn't want us to follow jesus and so he will throw temptation at us to try to trip us up so we need to protect ourselves and put ourselves away from temptation so maybe our temptation might be to drink we can be free to drink but can we actually handle it maybe we need to give that away maybe it's greediness maybe it's the money that we earn we have freedom to earn money but do we struggle with generosity now this is actually you can have heaps of examples of this kind of stuff and what we're going to preach through in term one is actually a very um old idea of the things called the seven deadly that will helpful to be helpful to actually go beyond just kind of like i can throw an example here out there or and make us think about it but actually take the time to to examine our hearts and to look at how we live a life that is beyond, beyond this being enslaved to those temptations and to those particular sins. The other thing that we've got to remember is that we're still capable of sinning. Even though we've been forgiven, we are still capable of it. Like temptation is still there, our ability to sin is still there. You're still able to ignore God right now. You can shut off. But you can't do it forever. That's the thing. With, us, with his spirit inside of us, it will grate on you, ignoring God. Not until we're in heaven is sin completely gone for us, gone from us. We're united with Jesus. And so the trajectory that we're all on as believers is to have sin taken away. But we live in this tension now of, of seeing sin actually leaving our life, being gotten rid of in our life. One of the most helpful ways that I've heard this put is, is, is posing this question. Will we give up sin to follow Jesus? Because we actually have to reject, or we've got to accept sin for what it is to receive Jesus. So are we willing to give up 
sins and, and particular sins and areas of our life to follow Jesus? Or are we going to give up Jesus so that we can indulge in these sins? Now, this is where Paul brings us straight back into those two major, major points, that our old life is dead because of Jesus and that we're actually raised with Jesus now. See, that's the thing. We needed a saviour and Jesus actually saved us. Jesus met God's standard and was substituted for us. So as we received him then, we received Jesus' death. Strong language. We actually died. But we died to that life where we're ruled by sin. As a believer, you've, you've said goodbye to that life and, it's, and you've died to it. And also, as we receive Jesus, just as Jesus' life didn't end in death, and we receive his resurrection, and we're actually raised to a new life. And this is where it all comes together, because being raised to new life for Jesus meant a, a completely new kind of life. And it's in that freedom that comes in that new life that we have the new freedom to live this way. We actually have a freedom to live a right life, to live a pure life. Now, I've already said, haven't I, that we're not going to be tempted, that we'll still be tempted and we will still fail, but we actually have to remember that, that that's beside the point because we have a new freedom to live the way that he wants us to. Not to gain our salvation and not to keep our salvation, but this is the outcome of our being saved. See, sin kind of derails life. Sin derailed the creation. God set in train a, a world where people would live in relationship with him, but when they turned their back on him, it completely derailed the life. And if you think of that concept of being derailed, it's a train that gets derailed, doesn't it? And when a train isn't on its tracks, you know, it might pump its little steam engine really, really hard and spin its little things, but if it's not in traction with the track, it's not going to go anywhere. It's kind of in futility. It's, it's subject to, to that kind of pointlessness. When it gets restored onto its tracks, it's free to be a train, isn't it? But in its freedom of being a train, it's actually on tracks. So if it sees a little, you know, just jump off, can it? Because it's set on these tracks. Now, there's a limit to this um, analogy, but the true freedom that's found for this train is by being on its train tracks. See, if you look at verse 6 and 7, I'll, I'll explain them just straight up. The limit of my analogy about the train will be pretty obvious here, but these remind us that we, we, our sin is dealt with in Jesus. Follow them with me. Verse 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you've received Jesus into your heart as your saviour, you've put to death the life where you rule your life. And it's, and it's like you've been taken and plonked back on the tracks the tracks of life that God wanted you to live. In our sinfulness, we believed that we could get somewhere. In our sinfulness, we believed that we could rule our own lives. 
we look out for number one. But verse 6 describes that actually, in that situation, we're actually enslaved. We're trapped. Our sin doesn't give us freedom. It holds us back from really living the life that, that God designed for us. But if we say yes to Jesus, we actually declare death on our sin. We give it to Jesus and say, please kill it on your cross. And just as Jesus' death didn't result in everlasting death but a resurrected life, we actually have a new life with him. Look at verse 8 with me. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Jesus' resurrection completely transformed him and he would never die again. See, that's the thing. Death is no threat and sin no longer rules. His resurrection shows the complete freedom he brings in that song that we've already sung, your name, your name is victory because when we call on his name, we're calling on and declaring what he has done to be true for us. And so given that we're united to him, our sin will not rule us. We actually have a new freedom to be freed from that. Now, I'm making some big assumptions, but I want to ask you, are you not united to Jesus? Are you someone that has actually put your faith in Jesus, that his death and resurrection is effective in your heart, in your life, for yourself? Have you accepted his death and resurrection for yourself? Because if you have, I mean, that's the invitation is always there, and if you have, this is true for you. But if you haven't, you're still a slave. You're still enslaved to that sinfulness. So from there, Paul moves on to this last part where he puts it all into action. Verse 11 sums up kind of all that I've been saying when he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That little phrase there that he used, count yourselves, He's actually getting to your mind now, isn't he? This has actually got to take a mindset in our lives. Count yourself. Think of yourself in this way. See, freedom can actually be a pretty scary thing. I remember for the very first time when I got my pea plates and I'd, I'd not broken the law, so I'd never driven a car without someone there in it with me. And so the first time that I did, I think I came all the way from the back of Cassia Street where we used to live to the school here. But those, you know, it was, what is it? Probably not even a kilometre, but it was the freakiest kilometre ever because all of a sudden I had this freedom and I had this motor vehicle sitting underneath me. And, you know, if I wanted to go this way, I could. And if I wanted to go that way, I could. And if I wanted to not go to school at all, I probably could and got away with it for half... I never did that anyway. But the point is that it's a bit like when you do a trust fall. You've got the freedom for just those milliseconds to fall back and experience what it feels like to be weightless or experience the force of gravity for that moment. But it's kind of a bit scary too, isn't it? Because there's you know, other people that are behind me going to catch, catch us. Maybe you can just relate this to something that you wear. Maybe you've, you know, wear those old pair of socks that are a little bit too tight and you've had them on all day and then you take them off. But you can kind of still feel like they're there, feel like they're clamping onto you. One thing that I read in preparing for this was kind of relating to people that have been in slavery and been brought up as slaves. And there's examples of this all over the world. But people that 
have been brought up in slavery and then get emancipated, get set free, often find it really difficult to adjust to normal life because it's all that they've ever known. And so what Paul is teaching us here is that we've got to actually train our thinking to remember that we have a freedom that comes from being united with Jesus to live a new life, to live a new life. This freedom means that we can live life to God, as he says it there, living for him, not as his slave, but to him, dependent and full of thankfulness for his grace. And that's why he comes up with these pretty straightforward commands. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. In grace, we are forgiven of sin. We are forgiven of sin, past, present, or future. But that grace isn't cheap grace. And so we are commanded here to not offer our body, to not let sin reign. We are united with Jesus. And so we're really dead to sin and really raised to this new life, instrument of righteousness, like verse 13 says. So while we're still capable of sin, we're not to let it reign. Don't be ruled by your urges and your self-doubts and your self-centeredness. Actually let Jesus rule you. Because you're free to let him do that now. Don't offer your life to wickedness to be used for that. You have the ability to still do it, but it is such the reality of your being raised with Jesus that you should not offer yourself to it, Paul says. So we come to the very last verse, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. We receive Jesus as Saviour, but we also receive him as Lord over our lives. And that means that sin, like it says, is no longer our master. It should no longer have rule over your life. The contrast is there. We're not under law, but we're under grace. And grace is the basis of our whole new life. And submitting Submitting ourselves to Jesus as Lord is the ultimate expression of using that freedom. It's the expression of using that freedom. And I know that kind of sounds like it contradicts itself, but it's perfectly true, isn't it? We're back on the tracks. We're in the Creator's hands. We're in the Creator's paths for us that He set forth for us. And we know that He is a good God. And we know that He leads us on good, to good to good paths, on good paths, towards righteousness. To submit to Jesus is the ultimate expression of our freedom because it's based on his grace and it's living dependent on his grace and continues in his grace. And it doesn't master us the way that sin does. So the contrast between being a slave to sin and being under the lordship of Jesus, it's not just like they're equal opposites as Lord means true freedom to a life that you were designed to live. So how are you going living for him? If you've been taught the Bible truly and you've been a Christian for decades, then this should be no new truth to you. But are you 
Are you making most of the most of that freedom? Are you living a life that expresses that freedom shown to you? Are you counting yourself daily as dead to that sinful way of life? Or does it still master you? Because if we let it go on for too long, we will be find ourselves enslaved again, won't we? See, the option is always in front of us. Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to be mastered by sin? My encouragement is to offer yourself to God daily, today, in a way that shows the reality that you've been brought from death to life in what he's done for you. Can I pray that that would be true for us? Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for your word that it speaks to us, Lord, that it encourages us, that it teaches us, Lord, of the, of the wonderful truths. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in them. Lord, I pray that we would be led by your spirit, led by your spirit into a life that expresses the freedom that we know, the freedom that we have because you are a risen king, because you are a gracious king that paid our, paid our debt and because you brought us into a new life. So Lord, I ask that you would continue, continue to build us up in following you, in living for you. And Lord, having lives that are shaped by the wonderful freedom that the cross. Um,